0: Hi everyone, I'm Emma, a certified dog trainer, and I'm Kirsten, a certified dog behavior consultant, and this is Dog Chats. Join us as we chat about dog behavior, having fun with your dogs, and building relationships. We will offer practical advice and a bit of humor.
1: Hi everyone, welcome to episode 19. Joining us today is Alexis Davison from Australia. Alexis is a Karen Pryor Academy faculty member charged with teaching the KPA dog training program in both Australia and New Zealand. Alexis regularly speaks at dog training conferences, seminars and workshops around the world, sharing her experience and unique Unchased program with fellow dog training professionals. Alexis was a mentor and still is a mentor to Emma and I as we participated <laughs> in her uh, Unchased program in fall of 2020 where we learned a lot about why dogs chase and how to help them instead look calmly and relax. We went on to then do a specific snake aversion training class with Alexis. It's phenomenal and we can't wait to work with all of you on that. She's been an amazing role model as a professional and trainer and friend for both Emma and I. And we're so excited to have her here today.
2: Thank you for the invitation and thank you so much for the kind words. It's uh, been an absolute pleasure to meet both of you and uh, yeah, to be um, regarding you Fabulous professionals that you are and to have you as part of the Unchased team.
0: We'll start off by asking you how you got into training and then what started that thought that you wanted to work with people to help seek solutions for their dogs that might be chasing things?
2: Um I'll i I'll start way back in the beginning. Um and then um yeah, sort of I can I can sort of step through that process. So Um, For me, it was back in the 90s, so um, I'd been travelling like many Australians do, we um, often spend sort of time working and living overseas, Um, and so I'd spent seven years living in um, Edinburgh and in London, uh, and sort of using that as a base and travelling around, nothing to do with dog training, I was uh, working uh, in disability services. Um, And then when I came back to Australia um, and purchased a a home, um, I realized I could have a dog. Prior to that, I had been doing a little bit of traveling and living in far north Queensland and had actually got a cat because we were in a, a smaller space and his name was Fergus and he was a fabulous cat but (laughs) because of the cyclones in far north Queensland to get to work the roads would get blocked if there was a cyclone so I used to actually take Fergus in the car and drive him to a friend's place I was doing shift work with some in a in a home for children with multiple disabilities so I'd often be doing for nights Mm. he loved the car and he used to sit up in the in the front seat with me and we'd stop for petrol or whatever, and people go, Oh, look at your dog, oh, it's a cat. <laughs> um, and he he was really, really cool. However, once I got a house with some space, I thought, great, right, I can have a dog. Anyway, so I got Hamish, who was just a uh, he was a, a crazy cross, the a Keta cross sort of border collie. And at the time we didn't have, it was the, the 90s, we didn't have puppy schools, there weren't a lot of private trainers around. It was very much your local obedience club. And you couldn't start training until six months of age was the recommendation time, because that was the age when they suggested you could put a check chain around a dog's neck and it wasn't going to cause any problems. And so once he was six months of age, I went down to our local obedience club and we went through all the grades. um, And then we were invited to come back to the club to do agility classes as something fun. So it's like, yeah, okay, sure. So we started an agility class. I don't know if either of you have ever tried to train agility using a check chain. Oof. It is quite an experience. And so to do weave poles, which is just where people have often 12 poles and the dog weaves through them, then uh, it was just a matter really of of pulling him through the weave poles on a check chain. There
0: was no luring, right? It was just, oh, no food. just...
2: No No, no, no. It was literally <laughs> just pulling the dog. And so he was struggling to get the idea of what was expected <laughs> of him um and because he was an akita cross the instructors at the club just said well he's an akita cross like he's stubborn he you've got to pull him harder you've got to yell louder but i just thought oh that doesn't like he, he he's just not getting it like he, he's got no understanding um and what I know now, like when the instructors would take him off me to show me and this is what you've got to do, he would just shut, shut down. down. He would do yeah. anything. Oh, yeah. When he was with me, he would do stuff. He would just do it really slowly. And and of course, those traits which are often put down to being stubborn or just um defiant or naughty or that's the breed. What I know now, understanding what I'm seeing and looking back on that, is of course he was. He was stressed. He was shutting down. He had no idea what, what I wanted him to do. For? <laughs> And so the poor dog would have been as confused as. and I. But for me, I thought, well, we're not having a good time. We're doing this class for fun. I'm not having fun. I'm sure he's not having fun. And I think somewhere along the line, because we always see dogs and people as, like, different. So even if you're a professional and you're working perhaps as a psychologist or as a teacher or whatever – The way that you interact and teach people to learn or children to learn, somehow some of us, and me included here, couldn't transfer, oh, we could. We can do the same the way that we teach. It could be the same for our dogs and the same for animals. We we just see them as completely different species and therefore we need to treat them in a different way. But something in me twigged and I thought, oh, it's got to be another way to do this. The internet was very, very new back then, but the job that I had did have a computer and, and there was internet. And so I, I used to just spend some time in my lunches doing a bit of a search. And thankfully at that time, Sunshine Books, which was established by Karen Pryor, actually had a website and I found these articles. I don't remember like the listservs and things like back in the day, and I found all this stuff about clickers and clicker training and and I thought oh okay well this is different I'll I'll give this a go and so I purchased uh, a pack of two clickers they were the the old box clickers then I'd also bought a video and this literally was not a video from YouTube this was a VHS video (laughs) so then I had to wait for everything to arrive from America Cost me a fortune. I think my clickers back then were like 25 US dollars. Oh my goodness. Like, yeah. That's crazy. Anyway, they eventually arrived. And and one of the, the, the pieces of advice was if if this is a new way of training for you, like do a trick, like work on something completely different. Don't have the dog on lead or anything. I think I, I worked on teaching like to roll over. i like, like just to try this out with something. Yeah. And then I thought, okay, great. Okay, I forgot that. That was good. And then I just set up my little weave poles in the back garden. And like to this day, I will never forget, as as we worked through and it was just doing two poles and then adding and doing two more poles and those sorts of things. Once he'd, he'd learned to go through these poles and he wasn't on a lead, he was just, I was standing well back, just clicking, pressing a little button on a little device and then delivering a treat every time I did that. And by doing that, giving him that really clear information about what I wanted... He was doing the leaf poles on his own. I just remember this one time, like, he just turned around and looked at me, like, it was literally like, why didn't you just tell me this at the beginning? Like, why do we have to go through all
1: that
2: And that was it. I just went, oh, my goodness, like, this is amazing. This is just really, really incredible. How powerful that I can communicate with him about what I want. So that was it. I I just never, ever put a check chain on him or any other dog ever again, like I just thought, okay, so off we went down to the club just with his flat collar, and it wasn't so bad in, in agility because actually when when you were ready to trial, you weren't allowed to have a a chain on your dog. I' often just train at home and then we just practiced out of the club and and then I stopped going, but we did we did trial he he basically in his first trial absolutely nailed it and he got his title he understood exactly what it was that that he was being asked and
0: then you were Uh, having fun right
2: then it was we were having fun we we were we absolutely were and so for me having discovered this amazing power really to be able to train (laughs) another animal that couldn't speak what I wanted I just thought oh well, wow, other people should know about this. This is amazing. Why isn't everyone doing this? There's a course in Australia, there's multiple courses now, of course, but but at that time there was one course which was in on behavior and training so I enrolled to do that where you actually went along with your dog so Hamish came along with me we did the, the workshops and stuff in Sydney and and the rest of the stuff was it wasn't online let me tell you it was written assignments by post <laughs> and videos of the posting and playing variety and then just over time, I enjoyed the training so much. And then probably around 2008, I just went completely full-time into dog training. Okay. Yeah, so that was a very, very long story with a little calling <laughs> really around was- iPhones in Queensland. But and that was it. And then for me, I think because I'd got stuck into agility and there was a lot of border collies and Aussie Shepherds and, and Australian Shepherds here at that time were really weird, but gosh, I, I saw the breed and I just fell in love with the breed, and that would have been back in '98, and then '99. I yeah started having a look around, and, and Brodie came into my life in 2000. So then I have had Australian Shepherds for the past 20, 23, 24 years. So yeah, not that I'd say no to another kid Cross, golly, because yeah. he was a fabulous dog, clearly. But yes, yeah, so I've um, become very fond of of Australian Shepherds, and so interestingly enough, I. Never went back to agility because we got interested in that learning and the training and yes. the training methods were still so different. I started to feel uncomfortable. And I think then there was that transition we've seen over time where some dog clubs, they will now allow people to use food or allow them to do this. So things things have, have, have changed and agility has changed, like, unrecognisably. It's a very, very professional sport these days Um.
0: Was it the dogs that you have now that made the focus more into unchase or what set you off in that direction?
2: Brody, so Hamish had passed. Brody was my first Australian Shepherd. I always had love having multiple dogs. So it's like, okay, I'd like to get another dog. So just sort of setting the scene for that. But because Brody was at that time about nine, we thought we'd get an adult rather than a puppy. He was starting to age. And so we thought we'd get an adult, and one of the breeders that I knew had a, an adult available next breeding bitch, who'd had puppies that not breed with her anymore. And so she was come out for six and was available for, for going into a pet home. So we adopted her. Her name was Flirt. We changed it to Marnie. And so Marnie, when when I went to pick her up, it was like, okay, well, we had, I'd met Terry Ryan. numerous trips to America in between these events. For those of you who don't know, Terry Ryan is a fabulous trainer who lives in um, Washington State. She has been training, goodness knows for how long, but probably since the 60s, and she does some chicken training. I was hosting her the following year to do some chicken training camps. So basically what a chicken training camp is, somebody like me puts their hand up and says, I'll host it, go out and get 20, 30 chickens, condition them to be comfortable being handled and to make sure they're gonna be happy eating food off tables and those sorts of things. And then we set about actually training them with clickers and, and we have people from zoos and horses and dog trainers coming along and we're all on the same level playing field because we're all working with chickens. And so I was having about 30 chickens coming along to to stay with us. We are on property. So, those of you who are listening to this, wondering how I was going to get 30 chickens in the house. <laughs> when Sharon handed me over Marnie, she knew what I was doing and so and She said, well, good luck with that. She changes chickens. So, I thought, oh, okay, well, I've got some work to do, basically. As another sort of side door tour, but also relevant, the year before, so in, oh, that same year, when I actually got Marnie, I did the Canine Fire Academy. So I actually went through that course with Marnie, and then part of that, we, you train a second species. And I ended up training a rabbit that I got through a rescue group, who was a, a year old, still entire, and, and tra- trained with him. And my partner, bless him, said, "Well, he better come and live inside the house if you've actually got to train him, so that you can develop this relationship." So, <laughs> so Oscar did come to live inside the house. But again, it was like, well, I have this adult um, Australian shepherd who's got a history of chasing. So again, there's work to be done here because Oscar needs to be in the house. And It was because of that confluence of events where I suddenly had a rabbit, 30 chickens and a dog that was six years old and had a history of chasing and was an Australian Shepherd. So, and so for me, I thought, okay, we'll be like our, we love having, we didn't keep all 30 chickens, but they went, they went off to very good homes, but we, we kept some and I always had chickens. We've got four now, but it, they, they free range during the day. It's nice to have them out. It's nice for them to have that lifestyle. And so for me, it's important that the training's done with the dog so that the chickens can have that quality of life that they can be out and about and free ranging, and all the pets that we take in, whether it's a rabbit or a cat, whatever, they're part of the family. And so it is really looking at building those relationships, not just with us, but also with the, with the dogs, so that everyone is is comfortable and not stressed or over aroused. So I said about doing some some work with with Marnie and doing some training, and. It was really, really successful. Oscar and Marnie used to share the same beds around the house and we could have the, the chickens free-ranging and the dogs running around and, and things were all really good. I thought, oh, well, that worked. And... Where I live, I'm in a semi-rural area, so the training classes that I was running at the time, we have um, people who have a lot of working breeds because of, of the area, so a lot of Border Collies, a lot of now Australian Shepherds, Kelpies, Cattle Dogs, a lot of Terriers, so a lot of Castle Terriers, fox Terriers. There's a lot of livestock. There are working farms as well as hobby farms. There are a lot of horse properties here. We have a lot of wildlife. There are kangaroos, there are koalas, possums. Yep. We have lots of feral rabbits. There's lots and lots of things for, for dogs to be interested in chasing. And chasing is a huge issue. And so coupled with, with the region, the students, the, the types of dogs that they were choosing to live with, chasing was an issue and not really not something that we were addressing specifically. We were doing lifestyle classes, basic training classes, and it tended to be something that, yes, yeah, sure, a recall is absolutely helpful. It doesn't stop the dog from chasing. It just means that you can get the dog back if, if they do chase. As a trainer, I was giving a lot of management advice. you really just, this is what you need to do to, to, to stop your dog from, from chasing. But not, not really addressing the chasing itself. And so after I had this fabulous success with my own dogs, as an adult who had a history of chasing, I thought, hmm, well, let's put something together for pet people. And so I designed a workshop around and put basically what I had worked through with Marnie and put that together as a as a workshop and, and did I think like a three-hour workshop for people and I had people students come along that I knew or a vet that came along who hadn't Ozzy shepherd that chased and so that I could get some really good feedback about okay well how did all that go and so we sat down at the at the end of the class and, and chatting about it which was really good but it, basically as a result of that it it went well and so from there I it, it that and that was back in 2012 so from there I just put it on a as a regular workshop and we could then offer that to, to clients specifically it became a bit of a thing that i became known for so other even if people were doing training classes with another trainer they would come up if they do trot prog training with me if they had a, a dog that chase or, or just that they had a working breed or whatever Oh, go, yeah. go see alexis from that there were some really fabulous people who had puppies and they would have like a Kelpie or a Border Collie and they would say, oh, well, we want to book in for that because we've got this particular breed that is likely to chase. And so I was like, oh, wow, these, these people are amazing. Yes, come on in. Of course, the issue, I'm sure your listeners will, will understand, for a youngish puppy to be in a three-hour workshop, it's a long time. They gently fall asleep. So once they participate in the first little 45 minutes or so, and the the people were getting the information. It wasn't the most the best way to be presenting the information to puppies. So so from there, I split into doing a a, a specific puppy course that we then did over a few weeks. And that just the people are fabulous. Like really, you provide them with something, and they oh yep, we need to do that. And so the the puppy unchase just became a regular. It was just pretty much offered okay. every week. Because people were really good at recognising, let's do some preventative stuff, okay. which of course it is much easier if, if we can work with and train puppies and teach them to be calm with all these moving things around. That is quicker and easier than if we have an adult dog that has been doing it for a long time. Yes the great thing is we can still we can change behavior like we do have that ability animals like people will continue to learn until we're dead and so we can do that okay. it will just take longer and and we are just then going against that that practice of something but we can we can change but if you've got a young dog or young puppy it's a great place you know, and, to speak, and, and Emma and get onto it. That's <laughs> a problem. Yeah.
0: yeah. What do you see with the adult dogs? What are they chasing? Mostly for you, you said you had wildlife and stuff, but what do people come to you for? What are they seeing with their dogs behavior-wise?
2: So I think the one of the big chase triggers here would be kangaroos. And so kangaroos are very dangerous for dogs. They will have the dog chase them down to a water source so often like a dam and then when they're down at the dam they will actually hold them down with their, their feet and drown them and or open with their claws and so aside from of, of course being very stressful for the poor kangaroos who are getting chased dogs that chase kangaroos do not last very long and so so that's a big issue livestock of course so here. I'm sure it's possibly the same in the states. If a dog is in a farmer's paddock or or anyone's paddock with livestock, and the dog is well there, but certainly if they're harassing sheep, cattle, alpacas, whatever, the the landowner has the right to to kill the dog, shoot yeah. the dog, or and so so certainly if that's a concern for people, if that's the case, dogs of course are chasing horses cars is a big one so whether that's rural or urban environments that and often the car chasing tends to be more lunging biting snapping at pulling yeah. <laughs> pulling your arm off when you're walking the dog but certainly rural you get the dogs that that run after the cars bite at the tires those sort yeah. of things or, or run out on the road so that's an issue cyclists yeah
0: are a big I'd one, one here again too. But,
2: you know uh, urban or rural areas, and again, I, I mean that is obviously terrifying for everyone involved, and can cause injuries. Jog, joggers, kids, children, whether that's on bikes or just running around, cats. So whether that's other cats living in the same household with the dog, or cats, neighbouring neighbourhood cats that are in the street.
1: Uh, I'm going to jump in here and ask you: Would you speak to us about the misconception of prey drive? Versus the modal
2: action patterns? So, prey drive, there's no sub, it doesn't exist. Like, you, you can search this stuff, go on to research, find, try and find science about it. It's not there. So, it's just a, a label that we have, have come up with. And of course, like anything, like we say, oh, the dog is stubborn or the dog is dominant or whatever. It doesn't tell us what the dog is doing. It it just smushes it all into this one thing and we can't pull it apart. So if somebody says to me, oh, my dog's got a high prey drive, I'm going to need to ask, well, what exactly is your dog doing? Because for somebody it might be that they're chasing after the car. For somebody else it might be that they're staring at the chickens. Like what does that mean? Sometimes it also just means that the dog runs off come back. Like what what is it? And so and often it's something that I think just generally, whether that's from TV or it's from other trainers or it's just conversation in in the hairdresser or whatever, that oh your dog's border collie, it it will have prey drive or it's a fish load will have very high prey drive or like it's just that's just the way it is. So what dogs do have is they have predatory motor patterns. And so that is something, yes, it's a dog. And so that's dog started out. Well goodness, there's a controversy as well, isn't there, about how dogs started out. We <laughs> definitely won't go there in this podcast. But people will be familiar with that orientate towards something, what we call eyeing something, really looking at staring at it, you stalking it, and then chasing. And after the chasing, of course, we we would get to the the biting, the dissecting, the eating thing. But if we look at those first pieces, so So dogs will have that and and we have bred dogs of course different breeds to do exaggerate different parts of that and some dogs will have been bred from lines where they are still working. So if you go off and to a farm or whatever and you get a a border collie or Kelpie or whatever from a from a farm from dogs whose parents are herding then you're more likely to have a stronger those parts in that motor pattern that have, have been bred. So So, yes, they are dogs and some breeds have been bred for different parts of this in terms of those motor patterns, but they are flexible. We can change them. They are not stuck. And so that's why really I think every puppy, if you move your hands around or you get a toy and you move it, it's going to start to show interest in it and chase it. So yes, it is. this is normal canine behaviour and some breeds you're going to see some of that, but all dogs are individual. And so even if you have a border collie, or a, it's, you're not guaranteed that this is going to happen. But also just if you've got a really nice couch potato or you have a breed that we don't generally see a lot in our workshops, that one individual could absolutely behaviour but they are flexible. So if we, when dogs are puppies, we do socialize them and we teach them to be calm around these things, then it's really quite quick and easy to to teach, hey, this this is the way you behave in this situation. But because they're flexible and because learning is happening all the time, we can actually change dogs' behavior. And so What I think we need to do as trainers and also as as dog owners is just think about rather than slapping a label on it and thinking, well, my dog's dominant and my dog's stubborn and my dog's a border collie or my dog's a German Shepherd, think about, okay, well, what is your dog doing? What happens before your dog does that? And what bits? do I I want to change or what do I want the dog to do instead? And then if you need some help with that, you can reach out to a trainer. But really think about that because labels get us bogged down. You know, it'd be the same as saying, oh, your your kid's stupid. That's why they're not able to to understand this this particular maths problem or whatever. Whereas if we actually look at, well, where is the difficulty? Is it the way we're presenting the information? Mm -hmm. And that can sometimes be the thing. We just need to look at presenting things differently or we need to look at a different way of doing something. And so the wonderful thing is, yes, we can change behavior I think this is chasing has been seen as a almost put it in the too hard basket mm-hmm. um, for a lot of trainers and for a lot of little society really and and when we actually break it down it's it's not that scary mm-hmm. if we break it down into pieces and 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 put it together
1: I want to say before I met Alexis I went to a very famous dog behavior consultant about my dog Mick and I was told that I can't change his behavior, that you cannot work with prey drive. It's, you can only use management to the point that now he could be out with my chickens. And when we're out on a trail and he sees a deer, he actually stops and looks back at me and comes to my side. And that's something I never would have believed in, but it was you just breaking it down, the little behaviors one at a time and building on that. It's remarkable how really all behavior can change with the right communication. yeah
2: that's wonderful and good on you for going well hang on a minute maybe that's not right
1: well it took me a while I believed it for a while (laughs) until I took your course and then I was like
2: who's this crazy Australian who reckons she could do something
1: but it's amazing how much Emma and I talked about this how much we use the Unchained Protocol in our in just daily lives right it's not this big out of reach kind of thing and I, I really want our listeners to know that that just the very basics of look calmly and relax on the mat and asking them to do a touch or a different behavior is something that everybody can train with their own dog and, and address so much of that chase
2: yeah i think when i when i started out i was just doing my thing and but other trainers were were sending the, the clients to me and I started thinking, oh, gosh, this is this stuff that we can be doing here. A bit like when I first discovered clicker training. It's like, oh, well, why doesn't everyone know about this? And and so for me, that was the impetus behind, okay, I need to get this out to more people because it's yeah, applicable everywhere, whether it's, I remember I spoke at a conference in Las Vegas uh, in 2016 and somebody in the audience said, oh, what about a mountain lion? But we can apply the this too of course that when we're working through the training program there are different elements and it's much easier to go it's harder to go and find a mountain lion to do some drop, but there are things that we can do rather versus the chicken in the back garden but there are things that we can do to to work and, and be training the dog yeah so it applies to to a whole range of things that the dogs chase it applies to all breeds it applies to all ages i had a, a lovely couple who came along they had four border collies they had three adults, and they were getting a puppy. So they discovered Unchase. They came along to puppy Unchase with their puppy border collie. And I think he was probably about, oh, 12 weeks as he went through, they were getting a kitten. Their three adult border collies, two of whom chase cats. I think one had a, like, quite a history of maybe doing a little bit more than chasing, some of the little after things in the motor pattern. So they came along, they did the stuff with the border collie, so puppy border collie kitten, good management at home. Nine days, nine days for that puppy and that kitten to be best buddies. That's like awesome, beautiful stuff. But they did not stop there. They came with their border collies, like there were two of them, so they brought two, two one time and, and one another time. They did the work, unchase workshop with all the adult border collies, and. I reckon she was nine, one of the 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 border Collies who had might have gone a bit further down the predatory motor pattern <laughs> than than the others was nine years old. And they knew that okay, we might not get to the snugly on the lounge part with her, but we want to be at least that everyone can be out together with supervision if needed. And two years later, I got a photo of right. Aspen curled up on the lounge with Barchi, who was then of course a cat. And so it had taken, you can see, okay, this took nine days. <laughs> this took two years. But they,
0: they put the time they got in. to
2: where they wanted to be. Yeah. And and that's to say, okay there's a lot of commitment in that in terms of we have to make sure in the meantime that cats stay safe and those sorts of things. But as you say, Kirsten, this, this is not a particularly time-consuming event. It's just really about making some some daily changes and some things that you can do. This is not hours and hours and hours of training. I don't have that time myself. And so I think what we need to do with training is we just need to make it very easy and really it's just about making a few adjustments and then just how you use that food that you feed your dog every single day in such a strategic way that you can actually reinforce those behaviors that you want
0: and would you talk to us a bit talk to us a little bit about the snake aversion program that you do because that's really interesting to to us as well
2: okay so again where where do I live I live in the Adelaide hills we have I think pretty much all all of our snakes here are venomous we've got certainly the most some of the most deadly snakes in the world so snakes are, are a problem in terms of biting both people and also in terms of biting cats and dogs and and them dying or, or becoming very ill and so that's an issue and in south australia where i live it is. It's been illegal for for many many years. All the time I've been a dog trainer, so at least sort of twenty four years to use shock collars. Traditionally, in many places, people train snake avoidance using a shock collar, and the idea there basically is that we're punishing the dog to to such an extent that that they associate that particular punishment with the snake whether or not that happens we we don't really know because who knows what else happened at the time but so that's not an option where I live and snakes is an an issue we don't want dogs looking calmly at snakes and just going oh look it's a snake how wonderful I'll just lie down here for a little while and, uh, and watch it And so I thought, okay, well, okay, there's got to be another way to do this. There's got to be something that I can put together. And so thinking about the way the general chase works is that we're really teaching the dogs that the cat or the car or the cyclist or the jogger or the cow or the kangaroo, the squirrel, is the cue, so tells the dog what to do. That's my cue to go over here, check in with my person, lie down, chill out. And so I thought, well, there's got to be a way then that we can use the snake to give the dog the information about that's a cue to actually move away from it and let the person know if it's appropriate. I reckon it was probably, again, oh, I don't know, 2015, 2016, around there, doing a presentation, a conference, like i just started to put this snake, Training together, we. I'd done some stuff with some other trained, like with their dogs and some stuff with my dog. Felt a bit messy and clunky, and I, I don't think it was all smooth and beautiful, but trying to figure my way through it. At that time, one of the vets in the audience said, well, more cats get killed by snakes than dogs. So hence, Kirsten, why I'm always going, okay, <laughs> have you done this with your cat yet? Um, so over that time, like I started to, to reflect, like refine that and, and get it a little bit better. And then I actually discovered Ken Ramirez, who is in the States and again in Washington State, a lot of cool people in Washington State, was done a snake avoidance protocol and he's doing it oh since the 70s or something i was like oh my goodness i wish i knew about this because i could have just gone and said well ken how do i do snake avoidance and he could have told me all the answers i would not have had to struggle through all of these little messy bits that i felt i did but anyway it turns out that him and me and and other trainers globally have, have got a very similar protocol which is ultimately that the the snake and that whether that's the odour, whether that's the movement for some snakes, obviously, in some parts of the world, good America, if it's a rattlesnake, sometimes the rattle, you can be cues, can tell our dogs, this is what to do. And what we teach is not to hang out, look calmly, but it's to run, move back, move back quickly. And if appropriate, probably go find your person and let them know that there's something of danger there. Yeah. And so that's the way we teach it. It's actually not, again, a bit like I'm Chase it's not a particularly complex protocol. Like it really literally is teaching a dog to come back reliably with lots of distractions. And if you want it like to alert you in some way, and on a, that could be of course, various things we often teach or to a foot or a, to nose you or nudge you somewhere on your body. And that is it. And it, and it works well. It is, it's the training part, like anything that just takes some commitment and building distractions and those sorts of things. And actually both recently have been jack russells one of whom their previous jack russell was killed by a snake and so as soon as they got their second jack russell puppy it was like okay we need to do your snake training and so again if we teach this really young it works beautifully because like you're out training your puppy anyway just throw this in but it's a, a wonderful thing to to be teaching young dogs but again doesn't matter how old your dog is yeah you know, we can we can work away at it but it's, yeah, it's wonderful. And I think now uh, people are starting to be aware that, oh, there's another way of training. Last year, I was invited by a, a, a behaviour vet to go to a, um, a country's community in Victoria. And in Victoria, another state for us, people are allowed to use a shock collar. Provided that their veterinarian signs off to say that their dog is of sound mind and this will not harm them, meant to do this. So the behavior vet, who of course has a really good understanding of behavior, said, "Alexis, some of the vets are signing off on this because they don't—they don't know that there's another way to train. They will only sign off on it for snake avoidance, but they will sign off on it for snake avoidance because they really feel there's no other way to do this training." And, of course, the concern is that this could save a dog's life. There's a genuine concern that, well, hang on, this could actually kill this dog. And so surely it is better that we use this extreme punishment and this could save the dog's life. And so I went along to a community hall and and invited all the the vets and, and staff from those clinics and just talked to them and showed them video footage and said, okay, well, we can do this. And they just went, oh, oh, okay, all right, well, we didn't know that. And it is hard as well. I, I absolutely get it because the other thing is they want to be able to send refer them to somebody else who can do it rather than just say, well, no, I won't sign that, goodbye. They want to say, well, yes, I care about your dog like you do. You know, people are doing this because they love their dogs. Mm -hmm. They care about their dogs. They want to save their dog's life. For me, there is not a lot of training. There are more trainers now, yay, doing this and trying people to get people, (laughs) other trainers doing this. Um, There is, however, an app now. i developed an app. So (laughs) people don't have a trainer near them. They can download, get the program online or through the Unchase app and so that is available where where people can say hey it's here but the other thing is I have been doing some more online classes live and last on Monday night I had two students from Victoria come along to that Snakes class which is a lot live Zoom class and they both said well we're here because our vets wouldn't sign off. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and they told us to ring you and so 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 that's wonderful but it, it really is again I think it's it's really just comes back down to education to say hey there is another way that we can do this and for those listeners who don't know unfortunately shop collars can have Fallout from for dogs, particularly like on a, a on a welfare level for their mental health, and it can create a range of, of other behavioural issues. When I do workshops and I, I travel around Australia to do those, a lot of clients who will come along have done shock collar training previously with another dog and often sort something else out because of a uh, something that they've seen in their dog which has really changed and upset them so but it is for us saying hey look there is another way to do things if you if you'd like to take that because i'm sure all the listeners love dogs we all love dogs yeah. we all want to do the best by them and to know that hey there is another way that we can do this and the wonderful thing about this protocol is that we know that the dog is making the association with the snake because that is actually the cue <laughs> and so we know it's not another dog in the distance or a person or a child or whatever that is the association we know it is actually the snake I think that's a huge benefit to this
0: you mentioned the app could you tell us a little bit about the app so people can go
2: to their Apple store or they can go to their Google Play store it's in both and download the Unchased app there is a free short course in there which is a recall which people then can at least they can see the training style they can see how the the courses are laid out see if it's something that they like and then there are a whole range of, of unchased courses within there so there's an unchased cat so that's particularly for people who have cats at home that are that living in the same environment there's an unchased pocket pets and birds for those of you who have like rabbits ferrets guinea pigs chickens those sorts of things there is an unchased rural dog and so that's got examples in there more of livestock and horses and tractors and four-wheelers and those sorts of things there is a unchased urban dog which has then got more examples of cars and cyclists and things that you can come across in an urban environment as well as the neighbor's cat coming out those things and there is a Unchased Snakes, Um, and and there's also Unchased Puppy. So if you want to start out early and follow that through. So those adult courses you can purchase as a one-off and have lifetime access. There's also the option to subscribe, so you can subscribe as a puppy subscriber, or you can subscribe as a general subscriber, and you'll get access to multiple content so if you've got a dog that lives in an urban area but chases a cat you can you can get in and you want to do snakes and you can have access to all of that it's just a monthly subscription
0: great and kirsten and i are certified trainers for Unchase as well so if you need support on that side too as well as the app we're happy to be here and help as well
2: everyone should send you an email or phone you up and ask (laughs) Unchase snakes
1: (laughs) Absolutely. As I say, I'm doing my, my first uh, two-day workshop this weekend. So Fabulous. I mean, Excellent. We'll put some pictures up on the podcast Instagram
0: site yeah awesome awesome well i want to thank you very much um for joining us that was that was great so much great information and um i love how you started as a trainer that was a a wonderful way that you got into it so
1: really glad that you shared that with us when me think of the book the secret history of kindness about bf Skinner and karen Pryor. i mean it's, it's basically the story that you told how positive reinforcement works but uh a lot of people had a hard time hearing that for many years
2: so yeah yeah if- and I, I think the other thing is there there is obviously a, a good science behind a technique behind
1: it. <laughs> but but
2: ultimately yeah you can be as precise as you want but just making some small adjustments will will have a big impact yeah
1: yeah with kindness i so how can people find you
2: if people are looking for me then my website is very very easy it's unchase which is just u-n-c-h-a-s-e unchase.com and people will find the links to online courses to the app and also a directory which lists both of you so if they're looking for your details they can go to that one spot and find everything that they need from the website
0: great thank you so much for joining us Alexis great to have you
1: Thanks for tuning in today and hope you'll join us for our next episode. You can reach Emma at ecdogtraining.com or on Instagram at ecdog underscore training and Kirsten at kwhappydogs.com or on Facebook at KW Happy Dogs. Don't forget to hit subscribe. See you next time.